Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salam ala rasulillah. Dear brothers and sisters, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome to this Ilmfeed podcast episode. Today I have with me my good friend and mentor, uh, author of From My Sister's Lips and now new book, Show Up. It's Naima B. Robert. Assalamu alaikum Naima. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Yeah, so Naima, your new book, do you have it with you? Can you show us? Yes, here it is. MashaAllah, show up. A motivational message for Muslim women. MashaAllah, I read the book recently and I was crying as I was reading it because do you remember last time we met? Last time we met on Ilmfeed, mm-hmm. um, you very powerfully shared the story of your husband's passing and everything that you had to deal with, right, in the aftermath of that. And a lot of our listeners and viewers really, you know, gave us a lot of feedback and said that they found your story so inspiring. So it's great that you've taken the story and, you know, really built a lot of powerful messages around it um, in this book. And I just wanted to ask you, um, like one of the key messages of the book are, or is that uh, tests are inevitable, right? Yeah. And and yet you get to decide your story. Mm-hmm. And I loved that. I loved that message of the book that, you know, tests are inevitable. You're going to be knocked over right Mm -hmm. uh by all sorts of things throughout life Mm -hmm. but don't be the victim of your story don't allow your story to be a tragedy uh you can turn things around and you can be the hero of your story can you tell us like for somebody who's listening who's thinking oh that just sounds you know impossible for me you don't understand my situation you don't understand what I'm going through mm-hmm. you know I had terrible parents I had a terrible childhood and I've grown up and I've just found myself in terrible situations etc etc somebody who might be living that tragedy right or victim story at the moment what would your message be to them you know and through this book well, Jazakallah khairan, um, you know, that victim hero um, narrative is, is, is a really, really powerful one because one of the things I talk about in the book is being aware of the stories we tell ourselves about our lives, right? Mm-hmm. And I give that, you know, I think a very powerful example of telling the story of Khadija radiallahu anha and Aisha radiallahu anha as victim stories. No embellishments to the plot, if you like, you know, I, I say the facts as they are, you know, widowed twice, married a man younger than her who didn't have money, you know, and, and hardship upon hardship upon hardship, and then she died. And of course, people do click that, oh, she's talking about Khadija radiallahu anha, but we never think of Khadija radiallahu anha in those terms, even though that was an aspect of her life. We think of her as a hero because we frame her story as a hero story. And everyone has the ability to do that inshallah with their own lives because 
this is you know one of the things that I, I I really wanted people to take away from the book is you know an understanding of the power of our own perception and how our perception of our circumstances can actually change our experience of those circumstances. Mm -hmm. For example, are a woman who's been trying to have a baby or she's she's married and maybe been trying to have a baby and you know nothing's happening. There are several stories she could tell herself about that situation. If she wants to be a victim and see herself as a victim, then that's easily done. Um, you know, uh, what's wrong with me? How come everybody else is so easy for everyone? You know, is Allah punishing me? You know, and allowing that herself to wear that as like a victim cloak, whereas somebody else will reframe this. And I actually believe this is the Islamic way of dealing with trials. Allah wants good for me. Allah has something better planned for me. Allah wants me to focus on something else right now. Alhamdulillah, I get to do this still. I get to do that. I get to love on my nephews and nieces. You know, do you understand? Like while you're mm. in space, you might as well frame it as something that is good for you than something that is, is, is bad, that is painful, that is a punishment, etc. because it will change your experience of that particular thing. Same for any other trial or tragedy, any kind of loss, because if you lost something, then it follows that you had something to lose in the first place. And even that is a reason for, for gratitude, for mm -hmm. shukr, for, for feeling blessed, for feeling like you have experienced barakah. And for me, this life is hard enough as it is. It really, really is. There is so much outside of our control that at least, at the very least, Let's take control of the way that we see things and our mindset so that we can at least have that kind of comfort and that safe space inside our own heads, uh, you know, to fortify ourselves when the tests come, because the tests are definitely coming. And the whole way through, I'm talking about establishing this, this, this safe place in your mind as an act of worship. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants good for us. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to learn and to grow and to become the best version of ourselves. That's why we have these tests, to be purified, to be educated, to, to have the way illuminated for us. It's, it, uh, Allah made good in everything. So again, it goes back to this tawakkul that we have in Allah's plan, that Allah wants good for me at the end of the day. And that's something that I hold on firm to. And that is what gives me my sakina. That is what gives me my peace of mind. That is what allows me to stay firmly rooted when the storm comes, if that makes sense. Jazakallah khairan, absolutely. I mean, I love the way you highlighted Khadija and Aisha because you're right. Like we tend, uh, when we're talking about the Muslims of the past, especially the Sahaba, their generation, we tend to valorize them and, you know, talk about them as if everything was just plain sailing. And, you know, these are just little facts, but we don't, like she was a widow or she never had children or we don't actually think about that. You know, like, oh, I wonder how that felt. Right? How did that feel? How we experienced that, exactly. Right, and, and we kind of raise them to kind of superhuman level, and and, and so so that's why we we almost act as though that wasn't a struggle for them, right? Um, exactly. And uh, with with Aisha Radilanha, one of the things that um, I was reflecting on that I don't think anyone really talks about is that she, at the age of eighteen, became a widow, mm -hmm. 
And then she never got married again. SubhanAllah. Now, nobody talks about that, right? No. <laughs> uh, because obviously, because she's our mother and, you know, she's the mother of the believers and we want to like uh, show her respect. But that in itself is a difficult thing, you know, like that we really don't, I think, give her credit for, you know. 18, that's like the peak of your youth, right? SubhanAllah. Um, 18 and, with no children. Yeah, subhanAllah. And so, so again, you know, this is this is the the, the whole kind of the, the the focus of the book is your life, whatever Allah planned for you, that yeah. is your life. Um, that's what you've got, right? And you know, that's what she did with Aisha Radhiallahu She began to focus on her nephews and nieces. Uh, she began to take in orphans um, and uh, start teaching them. She, she realized that she could still be a mother, right? She could still be a mother in other ways. And she, you know, used her talents and had such an immense impact as a result, right? SubhanAllah. Jazakallah khairan. But this, I mean, because I know that, you know, mashallah, you're working, you know, you've been doing research into this space. And I think, you know, mm. this understanding that, you know, this life that you have in this dunya, is the only one that's available to you. Meaning there is not an alternate reality somewhere where you made a different decision and you have another life <laughs> available somewhere, you know? Like, and, and like I back to the future. Right, back to the future, <laughs> sliding doors. If it only. Doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. What you yeah. have is what you've got to work with. So you might as well own it you might as well engage with it. You might as well be present and live it to its full with that tawakkul and that, that sense of purpose that we're encouraged right. to have as believers. And many of us, we check out of our lives. If it doesn't look the way we wanted it to look, the marriage, the children, the job, whatever it is, we check out and we get on, we go on autopilot and we just check boxes and do our duty. But really, we're not feeling it our heart's not in it, our minds are not present, we're, we're constantly numbing ourselves. And this is a reality for many, many people. This mm. is the thing I want people to snap out of because you're wasting your life by doing that. You're wasting your life and your potential and all these, you know, the, 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 the possibilities of connection that you have, that you're missing with your partner, with your children, with parents, with friends, with sisters, with whatever, all of that is passing you by while you're on autopilot and numbing yourself. So wake up. This is the only chance you have in this dunya. You might as well make the most of it. So that really showing up, that's what it's all about. It is show up and be present in your life and make the most of it because there's more than enough there to keep you going, inshallah. Yeah, one of the quotes in the book that I love is, because you were created for a noble, lofty purpose with unique capabilities and potential. So wasting your life, hiding behind the mask of excuses and fears just won't cut it. <laughs> I think you really connected self-development with Allah, you know, in this book, mm. mashallah, which I, which I really love. Um, one of the things you talked about that I found really interesting was uh, becoming a CEO and owning it. Uh, you said there was a point when you had to take over your uh, husband's business and you'd been running this magazine and, you know, uh, you realised 
that you hadn't been allowing yourself to think of yourself as a businesswoman mm. and you realized you needed to own that yeah before you could show up i guess yeah. like what was the actual in real terms what was the shift that took place when you owned that it was mad because i think you know i became this okay let's let for some context you know yeah. you, we can say i ran sisters magazine for 10 years but i didn't really write for 10 years you know i was obviously i founded it i started it off i was heavily involved for the first few years and then i had other editors on board i had people taking care of the business side so i really cannot say i ran that business so that's the first thing because again i was telling myself a story that i'm not a businesswoman i'm not good with business i'm a creative etc come to you know this the stage where my late husband now is in 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 hospital and you know it was decided that look you know you need to take over because this company will continue it has to continue this is the thing that's sustaining the family etc uh, so i was thrust into the role of ceo and i did not know what i was doing i didn't even know what the business was about i had been to that office once in all the years that they had been in operation i hardly knew the people I, i think i knew like one or two people there were 300 staff in that place so it was not a small undertaking and i'm thrust into this role i'm in my idda still my children are at home you know with you know our our my surrogate mother umsuma you know who some would call her a nanny um but they're home with her and i'm having to just jump into this world so when we say out of your comfort zone like this was the most out of my comfort zone i had ever been for so many different reasons and i i was resentful i didn't want to be there you know i i didn't choose this i i mm-hmm. i i knew that it was the right thing to do but i i hadn't chosen it and i didn't feel that i was you know really capable of doing a good job it was so many things happening i i just went in there and i was like okay what do you guys need me to do and i went in there and did it and you know all this time i'm kind of you know there's this underlying sense of i don't want to be here i don't really want to be doing this this is not my thing and i'm just doing this because you know my late husband began it and it's his dream it's his vision i need to do the right thing so when i read the two things i think there was a, a quote that i mentioned from brendan bashard and then there's also seth godin uh linchpin his book linchpin which was amazing to me and the reason why linchpin really landed with me was because he was saying that the only way that you become indispensable in your job is when you bring your full authentic self to the role because if you don't mm. bring your full authentic self all you're doing is ticking boxes and anyone can tick boxes but when you bring your full self to the role and you personalize it and you make it yours no one can replace you and that was for some reason Allah knows best it was just like it landed with me and i thought this is my company now it's right. not suleiman's company it's you don't have to pretend to be your husband in right? order to right exactly so if this is my company then what values do i have that i want to bring right. forth 
What talents do I have? Which, what expertise and knowledge can I bring to this environment to really, you know, sort of make my mark and make it my own? So, uh, so that was the shift really. And I started doing, you know, lots of different things within the company um, that were in line with, with my vision for the kind of place that I wanted to run. Alhamdulillah, it was, it was an amazing experience. The fact that we even pulled it off, Allahu Akbar, it was, it was really something, it was really something. Uh, so Naima, because uh, what I had thought, what I thought you meant as well by that, you know, owning the fact that you're a businessman is getting to grips with the finances as well of it. I, that's what I kind of interpreted because at times, like I know for myself, like <laughs> when I've uh, tried to ignore the finance side of things, you know, <laughs> like as if that that's not a big part of it mm -hmm. you know uh you can just kind of start ignoring it and not really realizing that actually no my decisions are not just about creative decisions they're about their yeah. business decisions you know yeah. does yeah. this actually work is this sustainable that kind of stuff i mean do you think that was also a part of it i would say because i had such a great team at um mm -hmm. Sullivan's office uh, the, and in that company i don't think that my financial education started then I'd say my financial education, what you're talking about began when I started my, what I, I consider to be my first business, my own business. And that was in 2018 when I started my online, my digital business. And that's when now I became much, much, much more focused and much more, much more savvy, I would say, uh, on the money side. Mm. Uh, and, and you know taking ownership of that more uh, as a business because it was purely a business like there was nothing else that you could see it as except a business did this work financially did this not work mm. financially you know what was the best use of time what's the best investment and all that kind of thing that came when I really went and set something up of my on my own after the um after I had uh, closed the the company that uh, my husband founded mm. Okay, yeah. Jazakallah Karen for sharing that. You've been really vulnerable in this book, I must say. Like, you've really been willing to go places that, you know, I think, especially as somebody who's well known or somebody, you know, known as a Muslim woman who's, you know, like an influencer as well as involved in Islamic work, etc. It's hard, isn't it, to to be vulnerable. I mean, people don't expect us to be, um, or they think we have perfect lives and we don't have the same uh, struggles that other people do. But here you've, there was one part that really uh, stood out for me and that was the feeling of wanting to run away. Mm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think everyone's felt like that at some point, right? Uh, like, uh, just to give people context, you've 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 shown in this book, you've gone through like showing up in different ways, right? Showing up as a mother, showing up as a wife, showing up for yourself and your dreams. Uh, and in one of the sections where you were just talking about that sense of overwhelm that I'm sure so many of us have felt mm. uh, when especially with kids. There's something unique about kids. I actually heard um, uh, Jordan Peterson saying in, a, in, a, in an interview that he doesn't think it's possible for people to really grow up unless they have kids. 100%. Okay. And he said it's, it's a bit controversial to say that, but no, you know, I, because, because <laughs> never in your life 
has I was thinking yeah that's, it's so true because never in your life has somebody else suddenly been more important than you right like 100%. that's that's the first thing and yeah. the second thing it's almost as though it doesn't matter how organized you are it doesn't matter you know how on it you were before you had kids it's a your your sense of control i think kind of has to it gets diminished 100%, you know. It's a stretch zone, to, you know, having children, you know, we I talk in the book about the comfort zone and the stretch zone and definitely, you know, children having a child will take you out of your comfort zone. Like, there's no two ways about it. And you will be in the stretch zone sometimes for many, many years, sometimes for the rest of your life, to be honest, because if we look at it, sometimes we think that, oh, pregnancy, maybe childbirth is like the, the big thing. But you realize that actually it's just, one big thing after another isn't it you know there is no one big thing <laughs> you know the birth isn't the one big thing because then there will be more big things to come and literally until the end of your life there will be big things happening and big things coming um you know and uh subhanallah it's uh, i i agree with that i agree i think that's a really it's an interesting it's a part of our growth as human beings, as, yeah. as human beings, as a human society. It's one of those rites of passage, isn't it? Mm. It's one of those things that helps you to, as you know, to, as you said, to grow up, to become the more mature version of yourself. You know, it's like getting into a committed relationship is the same, you know, not on the same mm. level, but a marriage does something similar where all mm. of a sudden, man or woman, you have to now take someone else's needs into account, someone else's feelings, someone else's, the way that they see the world. And, you know, you have to have this whole negotiation, which you've never had to necessarily do before. So it's all part of the journey. And that's the thing is, it's all part of the journey. And I guess what I wanted to do with Show Up is just to give people certain tools to help them on the journey, to strengthen them on the journey, because the circumstances are not in your control. Allah chooses the circumstances. Mm. Allah chooses the plot points in your story. And then what you have control over is how you decide to respond to those circumstances, to those plot points, to those twists, you know, that take place. You get to decide how you respond. And I think that even the understanding that you have a decision to make, that you can make a choice, is in and of itself a powerful life-changing realization because a lot of people they do think that everything just happens just as it happens to them. they're mm. making choices all the time they don't get it they just think something happened i responded to it the natural way the way i normally would respond but no once you understand that there is a process to it something happens your brain understands it in a particular way and then you feel a particular way and take a certain action you realize that I can now change the way I feel, the way I act by changing my perception. And that is the, that's the superpower that Allah gave us, alhamdulillah. Yeah, because I think you mentioned somewhere in the book that even inaction and apathy is a decision, right? right. Like you, people think, yeah. well, if I don't rock the bow, if I don't, like, I think one of the things where, where this kind of can present itself is when this there's an argument that needs to take place. There's a, 
a problem that needs to be faced, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, like as a family. We and need to have just, an argument here. Like we need to have an argument. <laughs> yeah, because people think fighting or arguing uh, in, an, in a marriage, for example, or even in, in a family, right? Yeah. They think that's just a bad thing. It's a bad sign. It's a bad sign. But sometimes <laughs> you need a little bit of a reset, you know? You need, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. need a little bit of a, right, this thing, if we don't deal with it, it's not yeah. going to go away. It's just going to keep getting bigger mm -hmm. and I'm going to get more resentful and it's going to blow up in our faces and it might even be too late if we don't deal with these types of things as they come, you know. And I think people sometimes think, well, you know, if I just people think patience. I knew you were going to say that. Yes. Yes. Nothing. yes. And people to just think that patience solves everything. Oh, I'm, as they say in South Africa, I'm doing suburb that it solves everything. But as you were saying, even doing sabr, there's a price to pay for that. Even avoiding an argument, there's a price to pay for that, you know? So like you said, it's not just the action that there's a price to pay for, there's a consequence. There's also a consequence to not taking an action, to not saying what you need to say, you know, to, 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 to kind of to, to pretending that nothing is happening. There is a price, there is a consequence for that. Go on, sorry, I interrupted you completely. Yeah, no, 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 I was gonna say, well, people have the wrong idea of what sabr is anyway, yes, right? Like exactly. they think it means, just be quiet and don't say anything yeah. or don't deal with the problem and it, somehow it will wash over and things will be all right. Yeah. When actually sabr means patient perseverance. So mm -hmm. to me, persevering in a marriage means dealing with everything as it comes, dealing with stuff, you know, not, yeah. not shutting up and not saying anything. Same with kids, same with siblings, same with the wider family, you know, um, that is, um, I, do you know what? I feel like you need to say that again for the people in the back because that's huge that you just dropped there. Come on, Sheikh, and bring it. Say that again. <laughs> Thank you, Naima. Yeah, what I was saying is that people think sabr means, because it's translated in English as patience, mm -hmm. which isn't actually, it doesn't do it justice, right? Mm -hmm. uh, patience in English means, you know, just you just be quiet and you just forbear and you just yeah. allow things to happen and things will get better right um, but sabr as a as an islamic concept is patient perseverance mm. so persevering persevering is an action it's not yeah. inaction right mm -hmm. so if you have a problem it means persevering in dealing with it rather than not persevering, persevering in the problem <laughs> Yeah, persevering in allowing it to just exist, you know. Mm. So I think we need to change our understanding of sabr. But there was one part that I really wanted to, oh, I want to ask you about flow, the idea of flow. Mm. If you could explain that to our viewers and listeners. So th I think it was connected to feeling of, the feeling of wanting to run away. Yeah. If you could talk a little bit about that feeling and then the connection with flow, please. Sure. Um, I think, you know, for, I think we can all agree that the amount to which our reality differs from our expectation is the amount of frustration and unhappiness we experience, right? Let's maybe say that again in a simpler way. The further apart your reality and your, you know, your expectation are, the more likely that you will experience frustration, you know, sadness, anger, lack of satisfaction, basically, 
Yeah. Now, one of the things that I noticed when I was doing my coaching work is that a lot of women have unrealistic expectations of themselves and of their lives. And the reason they have those unrealistic expectations is because they compare themselves to other people. And very mm. often they compare themselves to other people who are at a different stage in life. Sometimes the comparison could be with your own past self, for example, yeah? I think I talk about this in the book that, you know, you're in a situation now where maybe you have, you know, young children and, you know, your, your whole life is these children. And you're looking at who you were before you married and you're thinking, I'm not that girl anymore. You know, I'm not as beautiful as she was. I'm not as exciting as she was. You know, I, I don't get to do the things that she got to do, which means that that's your expectation and this is your reality. And there's a huge distance between the two. So therefore you are unhappy. Yeah. Now, when you are in flow, you acknowledge the stage that you're in. And you understand that just like that stage had its good and bad, its difficulties and its pleasures, so this stage too has its good and bad, its difficulties and pleasures. We will never escape this duality ever, mm -hmm. ever. There is nothing, nothing in this life that we do not have to pay a price for, nothing. Even the best of things, salah, catching fudger. Nobody ever looks at fudger as something that you pay a price for, but do we not pay a price to pay fudger? Of course we do. We have to wake up out of the bed. We have to, you know, get the alarm going. We have to get out of bed. We need to make wudu, you know, and all of that stuff. But of course our perception of salah is that salah is all good, but it is good, but it still has a price attached to it. You know what I'm saying? So the, the, the fact is that Again, going back to being present in your life, the whole concept of flow is understanding and respecting the fact that you, your life will change and you mm. will need to flow with the changes of your life. And it's okay. It's okay to not be that girl before you got married. It's okay to be different from the, the woman you had with your first child, for example, compared to your last one, you know? Uh, it's okay to not look like your cousin it's okay for your life not to look like your, you know, what your parents expected for you. It's okay for your marriage to look different to your friends' marriages. It's okay. As long as you are obeying Allah and you can reap the rewards from the life that you have, you're good. Because everyone has trials. Everybody hurts. Everyone. And these are like, they sound like truisms, right? But I do think that people fool themselves into thinking that there is a, a better version of my life somewhere else, <laughs> you know, yeah. and B, there are people out there who are happier than me, whose marriages are better than mine, whose children are better, who have a perfect life. There are actually people out there who exist, who have a perfect life. Social media doesn't help. You know, there mm, are, you know, exactly. because that, the, the, the social media in particular Instagram, I feel, it encourages yeah. us to kind of peek into people's lives and compare what they have. The perfect version of their lives. <laughs> Thank you, exactly. Yeah. The filtered version. The filtered version, yeah. So, yeah, so, the, so flow is about acknowledging that, you know, we, are, we should be like the water. When the water mm. comes down, I say this in the book, you know, when it comes down from the, the spring in the mountain, it comes through. If you've ever seen a mountain spring, it's very thin, like, like ravines almost. It doesn't have a big, like, you know, big wide waterway. It works its way down the mountain. 
Mm-hmm. Negotiates the stones yeah. and the pebbles. Oh, I like Rocks. that. No, that's yeah. really good. Exactly. You can add that in the next edition. Um, it cuts it way through exactly, and then it gets yeah. to the stream, and then the stream it can pick up a bit more steep, uh, pick up more speed, and then yeah. once it goes into the lake, it spreads out, and then it will narrow mm. again and out to the sea. That's mm. us. That's flow. That's flow. I get that so much. Like it's so funny, isn't it? How at every stage of life we're waiting for the next one, right? And we're just yes. like, and 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 yet, <clears throat> sometimes when I reflect back and on when, because my kids are all a lot older now, when they were little, I actually miss those days. And I know that <laughs> when I was there, yes, I was like, oh my god, I'm so overwhelmed. You know, there were, so, but they were such blissful moments. Yeah. You know. There was a certain slowing of the world, you know, that I yearned for and I kind of missed, you know, subhanAllah. And that's the, that's the thing, Fatima, you know, I, 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 I lament this, you know, and I, I'm going to get emotional now. I lament oh. this because we do, we do waste so much of the present because we're mm. either living in the past or living in an imagined future, future you know? Yeah. It's like the present is never good enough. And mm. Such a shame because once the present becomes a past, trust me, you'll be living there. Just like you said, you know, you, mm-hmm. you, you'll be longing for those days. You'll be reminiscing about those days. But in your heart of hearts, you know that while you had it, you did not appreciate it. Mm-hmm. You're only appreciating it now that it's gone. And again, that's another message in the book as well. And that's one of the lessons that I learned from losing my husband, is because trust me, we as human beings, we're the worst for taking Allah's blessings for granted. We're just the absolute worst. Whether it's our husbands, our wives, our children, our parents, you know, the current house that we live in, you know, the weather, whatever it is, we are the absolute worst at taking things for granted. And unfortunately, often we have to lose in order to appreciate what we had in the first place. And I guess my plea is to say, guys, like, don't, don't go out like that. Don't be the one that had to lose it in order to realize that they had something amazing. So while you've got these kids, yes, okay, they drive you crazy, but they're going to always drive you crazy. It's never going to change. Yes, you've got this man and he drives you crazy, but it's okay because he's always going to drive you crazy. What about the other things? What else is there here? What other barakah is there here? Where is the joy? Where is the love? Where is the laughter? Focus on that. Focus on that because you can't have something and not pay a price. You can't have a husband and not pay a price. You can't have a wife and not pay a price. You can't have kids and not pay a price. You can't have a job and not pay a price. Everything costs something. So focus on what you're getting for your money. Do you know what I mean? Focus on what you're actually getting in exchange for that investment, whether it's in dunya or in akhirah, focus on that. Because if you've already made the investment, you might as well see it as a good investment. And that's a perception issue. It's not anything else. One of the practices that has really helped me and my family is, you know, we don't give ourselves enough credit sometimes, uh, yeah. you know, about the things that are going well, you know. <laughs> like it's so easy to, to say, well, why isn't our family like this? And why aren't my kids like this? And why don't we do this? And, yeah. you know, it's so easy for us to constantly feel like that. I think it, we really need to, like, do annual kind of reviews and, I do do that. It sounds a little bit corporate, but you know, like we literally sit down at the end of the year and we'll we'll go round and say, well, what did you what what have we done this year and what have we yeah 
experienced you know Ooh, what were the like positive that. memories let's reinforce them you know yes. because it's so easy for our entire lifetime to whiz past and for people not to have i think it's called internalized or you know they haven't really taken stock of what happened and what we've experienced and what we've been through and what what our wins have been right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I you you did mention uh, Brendan Burchard in your in the book as well, and uh, I think one of the messages that I love of his is bring the joy. Mm. You know, he's saying that you get to infuse your life with the energy that you want. Yes, you're not just receiving yes. vibes and receive. No, no, you got to actively infuse yeah. that into every interaction, every. Thing that you do and I love that mm, I love that too joy is a big one for me joy and gratitude those are my two words <laughs> Mashallah. And, but there was one thing that I was a bit uh, wor- like I'm, I'm really unsure about and I want to know what you think because you know um, there's a part when you talk about showing up for yourself emotionally right yeah. and you say am I tuning into my emotions and ensuring that I acknowledge them and deal with them Am I addressing emotional issues as they arise? Am I working to heal any wounds from the past? And then, you know, at the end you say, or am I ignoring my mental state and suppressing my feelings? And this is something that I have, like, been thinking about and trying to work out myself. I want to know what you think. Because for a lot of us, I think we'll we'll be able to, we can identify with the the fact that our parents' generation they were very stoical, right? And for most of us, I think, um, especially for me, I'm just talking from like an Asian background, I guess. Um, and they didn't, you know, they didn't talk about their emotions, right? Like, uh, like it's only when you really, really dig. I've, I, I realized my mom was an orphan. Wow. What's that like? You know, like wow. she's really. Yeah, and 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 my dad, I, I interviewed my dad, right? And um, I was like, Dad, tell me, Dad, you don't talk about your childhood. You don't talk about like when you were a little kid, little kid. You know, you don't tell us. Like, and he said, sometimes there's things that you it's worth forgetting about, right? And I was like, okay, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean, right? And and then later I found out that you know he he grew up in like a, a slum in India, wow. and um, his family, one of his brothers, like really worked hard and decided they were going to move into a flat. Like that was a big deal for them, right? Yeah, yeah. And from there, you know, all of the brothers ended up getting educated, and because of some some people making that decision, you know, and just saying no, we're not going to. And now they've got scholars and doctors and, you know, in their families, mashallah. But, you know, he, he won't really want, he doesn't want to talk about what that felt like, you know, mm. like that period of his life. Um, same with, you know, just that generation in general. Yeah. And so sometimes we look at them and we think, well, they're, they're our role models, right? Like, <laughs> and, and sometimes when I've faced issues and things... I've thought, well, how would my mom deal with it? How would dad deal with it? Mm. And they they would probably deal with it with that same sort of stiff upper lip thing, you know, and and kind of, well, well, it's sober, it is sober, 
Uh, but it's an active sort of sabr because they believe that, you know, they'll make dua, they'll take actions, but they won't complain. They won't, they won't even share it. They won't necessarily feel like it's an emotion they need to deal with. Do you know what I mean, right? Yeah, yeah I do, I do. But our generation, mm. I mean, I have found a lot of utility in expressing, you know, in sharing, not necessarily with the world, but with particular people, you yeah. know, um, and dealing with stuff, as you mentioned in your book. So what's the balance? Because there is a, a certain type of over-obsession with ourselves, right? Like, yeah, like a narcissism. In the times, the mm. type of narcissism, you know, oh, woe is me. It's all about me, how I'm feeling, how I'm, how yeah. you're making me feel. What's the balance, you know, like, because there was something good in that generation's way of dealing with yeah, stuff as yeah. well, right? It wasn't I all have, bad. I have something to offer on this. Um, mm -hmm. Are you familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Yeah, the but period. you need to explain it just in case. I will do that. So if you, yeah. anyone who's listening or watching, you can Google Maslow's hierarchy of needs and you'll see yeah. a pyramid. And at the bottom of the pyramid, it's obviously wide at the bottom and small at the top. The bottom of the pyramid is physiological needs. So you're looking at basically air, water, food, shelter, uh, sleep, clothing, reproduction, okay? Basic human needs. Yeah. Up from that, you have safety needs. So personal security, employment, uh, you know, resources, health, property, yeah? Next from up that is, sorry, up from that is love and belonging. So friendships, intimacy, a sense of connection. Up from that mm. is esteem, respect, yeah. self-esteem, status, recognition, strength, freedom. And up from that at the very top is self-actualization, right? So the desire to become the best version of yourself and the most that you can be to fulfill your potential, Yang. okay? Mm. So I find this to be a really interesting framework because at different points in society, different levels of that hierarchy are available because of what's happening in society. In wartime, for example, you will find that people are struggling to fulfill even the, the first and second level of needs, basic security, basic food, shelter, etc. And I would argue that for many of our parents, many of them, not all of them, but many of our parents lived in a time where you couldn't necessarily guarantee even the first level. So your father, for example, mm. growing up, his family's focus would have been that first level, making sure that they've got somewhere safe to sleep, something to eat, you know, and, 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 and be safe, right? Once they moved up, they were able to now address things like health, like education, etc. But before they managed to secure the basic needs, no one's talking about education, okay? No one's talking <laughs> about health, etc. It's literally like, are we going to eat this week? So many of our parents may have come from those types of backgrounds. And I, I believe that their way of parenting, of being parented, their way they were socialized was necessary for the time that they lived in. They needed to be focusing on the stoicism you speak of, right? Yeah. The, the, the whatever it takes, it's got to, you know, like I can't afford to be in my feelings. I can't afford, to, I don't have the, uh, it's almost like an indulgent. A luxury. Yes, it's a luxury. It's like a luxury. Yeah. It's a luxury. So for example, if we, and so so your dad's one, and any, any of our parents are, are, are a good example of that. 
I look at the, the example of a marriage, for example, maybe previous generations, what were they looking to secure for their children when they wanted uh, to find a spouse? The basic needs, probably the, the, the one up from that, you know, health and, you know, some level of economic, you know, safety, mm. but love and intimacy and, and connection, nah, maybe not, <laughs> you know, that wasn't necessarily, it wasn't even an expectation, let alone something that people would be actively looking for. Now, that would be our, our parents, our grandparents' generation, especially in Muslim cultures. Fast forward to today, I would argue that we, are, we have basically ascended the hierarchy of needs because we are no longer worried about the basic needs. We have the health, we have the education, mm -hmm. we expect the love and belonging, and we are looking for something higher than that even, which is psychological mm -hmm. well-being, which is, you know, the, now we have the luxury of paying attention to our feelings, of dealing with right. trauma. But when you're in a situation where you're, you're literally operating at a survival level, mm. trauma goes unnoticed, trauma doesn't exist. It just is, that's how it is. You, your, your body and your mind is on survival, in, in survival mode. And right. I feel, I, I think that that is, that that is uh, you know, an explanation for why- I love that, I, I never thought of it like that. Oh, okay. Sure. And you're absolutely right, though, because actually they say that each, especially when it comes to immigrants, they say that, you know, there is a big difference between each generation, right? So we can see that even just with our own kids, right? Their experience of life in the UK, you know, like is completely different to yeah. ours. And sometimes we think, well, you, you don't, I don't appreciate these basic things, you know? And our generation, we do things like, we're having these big eeds and we're trying to, because we're trying to compensate for. <laughs> exactly. And again, that stuff in our own childhood. Sense. Exactly. Right. But this is the thing is that I go back to my, my original point, which is that everything has good and bad and everything mm. comes at a cost. So just like you'll find, you know, many people who came from working class backgrounds, whether they're, they're you know, immigrants or not, they yeah. would have had that same stoic mindset that same almost survival instinct to say we need, we've got the, maybe they had the first level, but now we're securing the education and the health. And basically you got beats, you, you know, maybe there was an alcoholic in the family, you know, there was, there was stuff happening, but your focus was getting through it in order to be able to, you know, to be able to have a better life and, and establish something for your family. Now that may have been the bad side of that. The good side was your work ethic that was built your values, exactly. your sense of appreciation, uh, you know, your, your, your sense of identity, you know, maybe the, the close community bonds, etc. That was a very real part of that experience. Fast forward to those working class kids that got into education. Maybe they were the first ones in their family to get an education. They married somebody who has an education. Now they're middle class and their kids are growing up in the suburbs with all the comforts that their parents never experienced, never had. They're in private schools, you know, the whole middle class thing. Great, good stuff. Also a price to pay because these kids do not have the work ethic. They do not have the appreciation. They do not have the values and they don't get it. They don't understand the value of money. They take everything for granted. This is it. This is the paradox of life. SubhanAllah, this is the paradox of life. So, so how are we gonna prepare them? <laughs> this is what I'm worried about. Like, well, I, I think I would say- 
how will they learn not to be self-indulgent and we have to hold back mm. the kids are indulged because we indulge them facts right. facts yeah. and we do it from a place of love but understand that there's a price to pay for that you know what i mean if you're putting on fantastic eats every year and i'm not saying people should stop doing this because you make your choices but just know that the, the consequence of that is that your children will expect a fantastic eat every year and that will become mm. their normal. Now, maybe you want that to become their normal and that's fine, but just know that there's a cost for that. You know what I'm saying? And, and try to offset the cost in some other way somehow. Um, you know, brat. that's the cost. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. So, so because you see sometimes the other thing as well is that we are living vicariously through our children. And yeah, we are that's what it is. Eads because we wanted the big eats because we want the big eats. And maybe that's a moment of self-reflection self mm. for you to say, how can I heal this part of me without damaging my kids? Yeah. How can I heal this? How can I fill this void that I have without damaging my kids? It's like children who, you know, people who grew up with parents who never said, I love you. And we, we know many of those, probably many of our mm. parents, I know even my father only started saying, I love you, like in the last few years. I don't remember him saying that when I was a child. He would show it in other ways, but yes. he never said it. It's just different. Yeah. Same here. Same right? Here. I'm sure many people can, 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 mm. uh, can appreciate that. Now, so a person, for example, who grew up feeling that they were somehow, some way unloved by their parents or felt like they were neglected or whatever, they can overcompensate with their own children, right? By going the complete opposite. So maybe they grew up, they, their parents were very disciplinarian. And so they decide that when I have my kids, I'm not gonna do that to them. They're not gonna go through what I went through, et cetera, et cetera. And they end up overcompensating and not giving them any boundaries and, and just letting them run wild what you need to do as the adult is just take a moment and say again how can i heal this part of me without damaging my children because this mm. is not about the kids it's about you it's about something that you need to resolve within yourself not about your children because if we are trying to heal our traumas through our children the chances are that the children will you know will experience some negative consequences from that because it means that we are not able to do what is right for the kids. We're doing what feels good to us. And usually what feels good is not the right thing. That's what I've found anyway. Absolutely. Mm. I, I, I do still think that there is a balance, like in expressing our problems and expressing our emotions and holding them back to a certain degree, you know. Uh, I, I don't know what that balance is yet, uh, but I do think there is one because... Because I think sometimes a problem can be temporary or it can be something that can be dealt with. But when you express it, I, I don't know, like I'm still figuring this out yet. Something like, you, something when you me. express it very, very openly, hmm. um, it becomes bigger as well. Like because in your own mind, I mean, yeah. like, maybe it's something that could be overcome. Like, you know, but but by expressing it and being too open about it, now you've made it so real, like, you know, <laughs> that. So like one of my mentors, one of the chief, he was saying to me, you know, um, advice that he was given that he gives to others is, you know, the well, he says the well, 
when you take water out of the well, just take it from the top, right? And I said to him, well, what, what does that mean? You know, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, sometimes when we dig deep, when we go too deep and we put, you try to get the water at the bottom of the well, we get the mud and the, <laughs> and the dirt Ooh. as well. And he said, with a lot of it, things in life, like he was talking about marriage, he was talking about kids, you know, like overly, because there is a such thing as over obsession, right? Like overly analyzing things. Yeah. By over, he said, if you overanalyze things, it's like you're digging too deep. And right. sometimes yeah. it's better just to take the water from the top. <laughs> you know? I have something for you on this. I have something for mm. you on this. Again, it goes back to being clear on what you want. Yeah. Mm. If what you want is to have a lasting marriage and you want to be happy in the marriage, then make your your actions and your thoughts and your emotions align with that. Uh, the first thing I wanted to say actually before that was let's remember that emotions are not triggered from the ether. Emotions are as a result of the process that takes place in the brain, how whatever has happened is being processed, right? right? Mm -hmm. That is something you can do. You can do something about that, right? So the first thing is if you are in an emotion that you don't want to experience, you may want to look at reframing how you are seeing this particular experience this person or whatever it is right mm -hmm. because if, if the emotion is not helpful change the way that you see the thing and it will actually affect your emotions about that thing um and so that's the first thing i want to say is that people do think that something happens i felt an emotion there was nothing in between mm -hmm. that's not the case they don't have a there control is a or a filter yeah that filter exactly that the, the information is being filtered by your brain and the way that you filter it is what affects the emotions that you feel. So if you can change mm. the filter or at least become aware of the filter, you can actually change your emotions. So that's the first thing I want to say. Second thing is everyone needs to get clear on what they want and then ask themselves, this thought that I am entertaining, this path that I'm going down in my mind, these emotions that I'm cultivating are they giving me what I want? Mm. For example, like you said about the marriage and the well, yeah? If you're focusing on the negative in your marriage, you're going to be unhappy. You're going to think, mm. that, you know, I don't want to be here anymore. How can I get out? It's not fair. Da, 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 all of this, and you go down, that's like downward spiral. Spiral. Mm. Is that what you want? I mean, is mm. what you really want to leave the marriage? Because if it is, then have at it. Okay, because that's the way to go. <laughs> you know, that's the one. <laughs> yeah. That's the way to go. If you do not want to leave the marriage, if you want the marriage to last, if you want to be happy in the marriage, change the thoughts that you are having about mm. the marriage. Because if you change the thoughts that you're having and you change what you're focusing on, the way you feel about the marriage will change. If you guys don't believe me, try it yourself. Mm. Get what you focus on and what you focus on grows. You put energy into it, like you were saying. You put energy into negative emotion. Not only does the negative emotion grows, but you start to see evidence for why you should yeah. it all <laughs> around you, right? Mm. And if you want, if you're in that situation, you've made a choice to be in that situation, it's probably not a good idea to cultivate negative emotion about that situation mm. because it's yeah. a choice that you made, right? And there's, it's all, there's, I mean, this, subhanAllah, 
I, I believe that there's always khair in every situation. No matter how difficult it is, there's always khair. And if you decided that you're staying in that situation, you might as well focus on the khair so that at least yeah. you can have peace of mind. At least you can have sakina. At least you can feel that I've made this decision and I'm at peace with this decision because I am okay. I am okay right. with this. Does that make sense? And you, usually there is a lot of khair. That's the thing. And Sometimes there's our... way more khair than there is, the annoying things. Right. But because we yeah. focus on those annoying things, like you said, the annoying things grow and it actually corrupts our perception of the whole situation. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And sometimes, that's why sometimes when people are out of that situation, they look back and they say, oh, it wasn't that bad. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> you know maybe I didn't realize uh, things could be worse, you know, <laughs> without certain, yeah. or I didn't realize what I was taking for granted in that. Yeah. 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 It, it goes back to that whole taking for granted thing, right? Yeah. The grass is greener, the... <laughs> the grass, grass is, is greener in the future yeah, the grass, in the past the, the grass is seldom greener the grass just needs watering just like everywhere and and you know the, there's the, that right. saying i use in in some of my master classes about you know the the i think it's a native american story about a man who a grandfather who tells his grandson about the two wolves that are in his mind and they're you know they're fighting and you know um he doesn't know which one is going to win this battle and one is the higher self and one is the lower self. And, you know, the, son, the grandson asks him, like, which one will win? You know, is it the, the, the greedy one, the angry one, the, the, the frustrated, rageful one? Or is it the generous one, the, the, the peaceful one, the calm one? And the grandfather says to him, the one that you feed. Mm. <laughs> so it, true. It, it's, and it's the same with us, you know, that, that what you focus on, where you put your energy, where you put your time, you put your resources, that will grow. Inshallah, it will grow. So be careful and be mindful of what it is that you're actually watering, what it is you're pouring into. Because if it's something that is is not for your benefit in dunya and akhirah, then you may not want to be pouring into that anymore. You may want to shift your focus to something else that is in alignment with how you want to live and what you want for yourself and what Allah wants from you as well. Um. Just briefly, uh, if you don't mind, what we were talking uh, once and you were mentioning about, because we're talking about, we, we've touched on the topic of marriage and looking for the good and, right? Um, you were talking about the gathering where you met some teenage girls and, and actually recently I've also done a session with teenage girls and I was quite surprised as well, you know, with some of the, the things that they're thinking about that, I don't think we were thinking about at that age. Uh, and maybe it goes back to the whole hierarchy of <laughs> needs thing, you know. Sorry? They're just unrealistic. They're just unrealistic. But you see, that sense of entitlement or unrealistic nature comes from, doesn't it? Like a type of over analysis and over indulgence. I don't know. Like, the media as well. I'm not going to put that down yeah. on individuals. You know, we are being programmed mm. all the time, all the time. Yeah, and I true. believe now with this generation, the programming is much more pervasive than it's ever been. We had pop music and TV shows. These guys have not only got music streaming all the time, they've got films, they've got, you know, obviously TV shows and everything, but they've got social mm. media, the worst. So they're literally being programmed. Their ideas are being shaped literally almost every minute of the day by outside forces. So 
So to be specific, uh, we were talking about how, um, you know, some of in the topic of marriage, some of the girls who are like teenagers, who they're already talking about things like toxic masculinity and uh can can you just describe that and just so that we like um i'm assuming most of our listeners and viewers are going to be parents probably the generation of parents right like we need to be aware of this stuff you know and uh i feel like like i do these q a sessions where girls can ask whatever they want and they can submit anything it doesn't matter and i talk about them things in completely explicit terms you know um because i feel like they need that from within the community you know they shouldn't have to seek that outside the community and also they they shouldn't have to allow these worries these doubts or whatever questions they have to fester to such an extent that later on in life they might blow up right Mm -hmm. um so i really believe in dealing with with these issues and i hope that this conversation will help especially the parents out there to to notice this because mm-hmm. it's become pervasive you know in the culture and i mean even in my children's muslim school i remember hearing the head teacher doing this chant in assembly about girl power oh. and i, mm-hmm. I <laughs> which is kind of funny Very it's, it's kind of Huh? Sorry. Very on trend. <laughs> Carry on. Yeah, I mean, he's a Muslim school as well. Wow. Uh, you know, but in the sense that he he thought he was being empowering to the girls, which is fine, but it but it's not fine. I don't know because no, like I, I've heard about schools where 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 boys were oh, recently there was a news article about boys being asked to stand up and apologize to the girls in class. <laughs> I was like, what? My daughter came to me and she said to me, oh, mom, you know how boys see girls as objects, yeah? <laughs> I said, excuse me, what do you mean? She said, you know, you know how boys see girls as objects, yeah? As if this is, this is a thing, this is a, a foregone conclusion, it's a fact, yeah. everyone knows that. I said, what exactly do you mean by an object? She said, you know, something that you just use and you throw away. I said, oh, really? So I'm thinking this comes from some, one of her friends has got something's happening on TikTok and one of her friends has got it. A friend has come to her and said, well, you know how boys use girls like objects, yeah? And now she's coming to me with this. So I, mm. I, I challenged her on it. And, um, and, I, and I broke down, you know, a, a non-biased uh, understanding of what she was talking about. But I think to your point, we as parents, especially you know those of us who are sort of Gen X's, millennial parents, we don't have any excuse for not engaging with the things, the ideas that are out there that our children are exposed to. We don't really have an excuse because it's not like there's a language barrier. There's no cultural right. barrier. A lot mm-hmm. of the time, a lot of these ideas, you are familiar with them in some shape, size or form. But I have found personally one of the greatest joys for me over the past year has been having intellectual conversations with my sons and now my daughter, mashallah, now that she's older. Mm-hmm. But really, you know, we will, cause they will come with their stuff from the outside and I will listen to them and some things I will say, yeah, that makes complete sense or I'll contextualize it or I'll challenge them on it. And I'll say, well, mm-hmm. what makes you say this? Or why is that okay then? Or what's the problem really with this? And, and get them to think for themselves to really, start use their, using their critical thinking skills 
to filter out the stuff that is being thrown at them and pushed on them all the time through social media and all the other media as well. So that really for me is, is the key. Parents, wake up get savvy with with these ideas and you know and and you know work it out for yourself you know to see okay well for example as you mentioned toxic masculinity etc so research it break it down don't just accept these terms that are being thrown out there into the world because my thing with with the the, the feminist worldview and, and I was on uh, you know somebody else's podcast and I ended up kind of talking about feminism which I don't normally do and you and I over the years, we've had a lot of conversations about feminism. And I think my thinking has definitely evolved um, on feminism and on feminism's uh, legacy. But things like patriarchy, misogyny, toxic masculinity, etc., these are put out into the world as if this is the truth. This mm. is the truth of the world. And if you're going to look at Islam through a feminist lens, you're going to come up short. That's the fact of the matter. If you're going to look at our families through a feminist lens, you're going to come up short. And the reality is, if you look at men through a feminist lens, you're going to come up short. Because as far as feminism is concerned, men are the problem. Masculinity, period, is the problem. It's not even about the toxicness or anything. It's like any kind of masculinity is. This is masculinity not is toxic. Exactly, exactly. And 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 for so, so what, what I think the point I want to make is, as a mother of boys, right? I cannot stand. I I I like I cannot get on board with that because I want my boys to have confidence in themselves, like I want my girls to have confidence. I want my boys to have self respect. Like I want my girls to have self-respect. We had a, a, a there was a, a book like a book reading, a book club invited me. Their reading show up and they wanted to ask me some questions. And somebody said, "Why don't you do a version of show up for teenage girls because they really need this stuff?" And I said, "You know, I hear you. And inshallah, work on something. But I would argue that not only do men need to read what I put in show up, but our mm. boys need this advice too." Because we yeah. act like our boys are all okay, their yes. mental health is sound, they're confident, mm. they're grounded, they're established, they're on purpose, they know their values. In what mm. world? Mm -hmm. In what world? If you're talking about confidence, the boys and girls need it. If you're talking about embracing gratitude, boys and girls need it. If you're talking about sincerity and having intention, boys and girls need it. If you're talking about having courage, they both need it. If you're talking about embracing yourself and being authentic, all yeah. of us need this. So that is one of the reasons why as a mother of boys, I have to battle. I have to push back against this because what you're saying is that my boys, for them to grow up proud of being boys, like we tell our girls to be proud of being girls, that is problematic. You're saying that my boys, you know, wanting to be men, and wanting to be men who provide and look after their families and feel a sense of responsibility is toxic? No, because trust me, my daughter, she wants a man like that. So where is yeah. she gonna find a man like that if I'm emasculating my boys, if I'm telling my boys yes. that they're too much and they need to tone it down and, you know, and I'm beating yeah. them over the head with patriarchy and misogyny and making them feel guilty and feel ashamed for being a man? Then where's my daughter gonna find what she's looking for? Where are all these sisters going to find what they're looking for if our men no longer have a sense of self, no longer have a sense of worth 
because of the fact that they're men and they're carrying all this generational guilt or they're supposed to carry all this generational guilt. It doesn't make sense. It's, it makes sense in the moment, but in the long term, it doesn't make any sense at all. Once you start looking at marriage and you start giving birth to boys, it doesn't make any sense anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like when you're a student, when you're in uni, it makes all the sense in the world. Uh, try to have a relationship with a man when all you can talk about is toxic masculinity and patriarchy and misogyny. Try to have a relationship based on mutual respect and admiration with a man when those are the ideas that you entertain and that's your lens. Try that. And then try to raise a boy who feels good about himself as a little boy, as a young man, with all those ideas in your head. It's, it's a big ask. Absolutely. And I think one I was reading um, the life of Ella Collins, uh, Malcolm X's eldest sister, who really was responsible for bringing him to Islam, you know, in the long term, when you look at her, the way she nurtured him, she became his guardian, she, you know, all of that. And then she paid for him to go on Hajj. And one of the things that she mentions, uh, her, her son wrote a biography, uh, and he quotes her extensively in it. She says when Malcolm came uh, over to live with her, she could see that he was, he had quite an aggressive nature, right? This is the way she described it. And she said, but she knew it was his expression of masculinity. Mm -hmm. And she didn't want to do anything to suppress it. Mm. Instead, she believed in channeling it in the right direction, right? Mm -hmm. And I just loved the way she talked about it because she said, you know, she was obviously talking about like black history and she was saying how, you know, the black man's uh, masculinity has been, you know, basically bludgeoned in, a, in the American context for so long. And she didn't want to do that to the next generation of men. Yeah. Um, and I just loved the way she actually saw those masculine qualities, right? which today we kind of look on as, I don't know why, as negative. And yet we need those qualities, right? Like we need the soldiers to be aggressive. You know, we need... <laughs> like I said, it makes sense when you're a student and then you're at uni and you're reading books. It makes so much sense. Once you come out of that environment and you look at the real world and you look at history and you look at the future, it doesn't make any sense at all. Sorry to say. Yeah, and it, and, and if, you, if you think about Malcolm X, and I just feel like, wow, you know, that sort of um, the that's anger. A man. That's a man. You know that's the a anger man. that he had, the aggression, if you want to call it that, right? That was in him was so needed. You know, <laughs> like, it was not aggression. It was masculine energy, right? Yeah. I say Mas masculine energy. Masculine energy and feminine energy are different, and uh, you know, obviously, masculine energy can be channeled into aggression. Yeah, but it's it's the it's the energy. And the energy can go into aggressive, aggressive acts, into competitive acts. You know, it, all these right. areas where we see men thriving, it's their masculine energy that allows them to thrive. Just like when we're in those environments, our masculine energy allows us to thrive there as well. <laughs> but, you know, we want, we want them on that. We need them to have their masculine energy in place. And I, but I just love the, the way she described it, you know, about how she believed in nurturing that masculine energy. She called it masculine aggression, yes. but, you know, yeah, masculine energy. Can I just say mm -hmm. as well is that what I what I have observed in our community is that 
I don't think that we're at the stage where we are shaming our boys for being boys at all. I think boys have a lot of privilege in our community. But again, I, that privilege is costing them. Because I, what I have seen is that mm. boys, unfortunately, are left to their own devices. They don't have enough guidance. They don't have enough companionship. They don't have enough investment in their development for them to actually come through this quagmire of sort of adolescence as, mm. as whole and healed and confident individuals. I feel as a community, we, we shelter the girls and we leave the boys out to the wolves. And uh, that's that. That is not the, the way that it should be. You know, you'll find, um, you know, in our communities, so many, I mean, again, different communities, different strokes, but so many initiatives for girls, so many role models for girls and different kinds of role models as well. You know, I mean, there's, 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 there's I, I feel that there is a culture of, of, you know, sisters supporting and empowering other sisters and, you know, sort of girls things, girls things, girls things, girls things. And my kids would say to me and my friend's sons would say, is someone going to do something for the boys? You know, are we going to have something for the boys? So, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe at one point the boys got all the good stuff uh, and Mm -hmm. the girls left at home. But I feel since, you know, since the 90s in the UK, I see girls really being invested in and, and, and women sisters being very mindful about creating spaces for girls and maybe not that much investment on on the boy side um certainly these are this has been the case in the communities that i've grown in there's the messaging there's the messaging and that's it do you think it's because people fear losing their girls more is that what it is there's they feel like yeah they're more susceptible or mm-hmm. okay now more susceptible is an interesting phrase mm. they feel girls are more vulnerable therefore they need to be catered to with a girl's school, mm. a girl's club, girl's sports, etc. But if you are not paying as much attention to the boys, then what are you doing with the boys? The boys are in a mixed school, they're in mixed sports, or they're just out in the street, out on the road doing whatever. And that for me is problematic because yes, our boys need to learn how to handle themselves, but at what cost? At what cost? Mm-hmm. That's the question I always ask, at what cost? Yes, the boys need to be able to handle themselves. And I think fathers, I would love to have fathers in this conversation because I think that mm. mothers, our, our tendency as mothers is to protect and to nurture, whereas men, the fathers, for all the kids, they're more likely to kind of push them out and you know make them take mm. risks and do dangerous things. But I would love to have this conversation with fathers to see... Are you happy with the way that the boys are kind of like out there in the world doing whatever they're doing, getting caught up in whatever they're getting caught up in? Do you think that this is the best thing for their development uh, as the father? Um, Or could we be doing things a little bit differently for for boys as well? And maybe just just making more provision for their own nurturing and development, um, Mm. you know, and, and just not leaving them to the elements, I think. I think that's my thing is just leaving them to the elements where they... Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough out there. It's tough out there, especially urban boys. The Muslim boys in an urban context, come on. You know what's happening. Jazakallah khairan, Naima. And uh, I think the last thing that I really want to touch on with you uh, is embracing imperfect Ramadans. <laughs> um yeah, can you can you describe the context in which you mentioned that in the book and uh, 
well this 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 podcast is probably going to go out in ramadan so yeah. uh yeah, you can I imagine the sisters yeah. they had it all planned they had it all worked out and now it's probably mid ramadan or it's you know and it's like yeah. oh my god it's all fallen apart it's all at least it's not the way yeah you had planned, planned it what's your philosophy for ramadan with kids remember the thing i said about the the gap between expectation and reality is the um, is the mm. amount of pain and frustration you'll feel. So of course we aim high and we have high hopes, um, but expectation is not the same as hope. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Hoping, so something, having a vision for something and planning for that is one thing. Expectation is something else. Expectation is more like daruri, necessary. Like this is how it has to be in order for me to be happy. That's right, not right. great. That's not mm. great. Um, mm. So, you know, if you are in that situation in this Ramadan, I will say the same thing as I say in the book, which is show up for what you have and appreciate what you have. You know, yes. take the barakah from what you have right now. Do not pay any attention to what is not yours, what is not for you, what has not been written for you. It's, it, it is none of your concern. Do not spend a single moment fixated on what was or what is yet to be or what you mm. don't have. There is no barakah in that, no benefit whatsoever. Fish fa'idafi, as we say in Egypt, fish fa'idafi. So that, yeah. that's what I would say is focus on what you have, be grateful for what you have, enjoy what you have, you know, pour into what you have right now and make the most of it. And just say, Alhamdulillah, mm. I've got this and I'm good with this. This is great for me. Alhamdulillah. Yeah, and so how like my my philosophy has been definitely for the last few years of Ramadan simplifying everything you know like strip yeah. it down to its basics so when i see like on instagram or in other places like these sisters who are preparing these elaborate beautiful displays and you know yeah. like the calendars like for each the young ones <laughs> mashallah <laughs> mashallah I, I i admire that but i'm like no thanks uh because <laughs> because for me um simplicity is everything you know simplicity is savoring ramadan like yeah. if you can have simplicity you can have the bread and butter things in place so you know what are the bread and butters of ramadan iftar has to be ready at a certain time people have to be in a good uh i would say mindset throughout you know you want people to have be in a good mood and taking care of their well-being throughout the day right while they're fasting um if that means getting everything off your calendar mm. you know for me that's what it means and making sure you, your needs met the sleep the you know the, the the private time the me time you know the time to just i have a little space just for me where i can lock close the door <laughs> and escape to you know just to do my own little ibadahs reading etc um, and ha just have the basics in place, you know, Taraweeh. People, are, I think people are going to be going to Taraweeh this year, especially the men and boys, if, if, it, if um, you know, the mosques do open to, to a certain extent. If it's in the house, you know, make that the focal point of the day. Um, and if it's outdoors, then 
make sure you have everything ready for people to be able to do that. And and I feel like simplicity is the key because it just makes you then value the the what's actually important, you know, yeah. in yeah. Ramadan. We, everything right? else is a distraction or a complication at the end of the day. We know what the market right. is for. We know what it's for. We know how to get the most out of it. It's just human beings, you know, we like... Uh, we like frivolity, I guess. Yeah, we like the <laughs> But even even for Eid, I feel like I, I started noticing that kids start focusing more on gifts than people, you know. And so I I just really completely cut all of the kind of frills down. And I'm like, we're meeting family. That's the important thing. Getting to meet them, you know, getting to spend time with somebody who loves you. That's important, not what they're going to give you, you know, which can end up becoming the focus. So, yeah, I think simplicity as well. Uh, so people can get your book from Amazon, can they? All the, actually, just anywhere online, they can get it from. Uh, yeah, all the all the online retailers, and if they Islamic bookshop does not stock it, just ask them to stock it from Q Publishers, so they can get it from there. Khairan. Yes, show up. Uh, do look it up, brothers and sisters. Thank you, Naima. Jazakallah Khairan. I hope you have a great Ramadan and Eid. You too. And I hope we meet as well, inshallah, yeah, during that time. Okay, I'm just going to sign off. Jazakumullah khairan, dear brothers and sisters, thank you for joining me. I really hope you benefited from that. I hope you're having a great Ramadan. I hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses you and Eid Mubarak for Eid. Um, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that this is going to go out around that time. Jazakumullah khairan. Stay in touch. Share this episode with people, with somebody who needs to hear it. You know, I'm sure that, uh, I, I personally have benefited so much from Naima's book. And she shared so many gems from her book during this episode. So, Jazakumullah khairan. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.